What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hi, folks, and uh, welcome to the Canine Paradigm slash Dog Training Conversations live podcast from Pet Resorts in Dural after the first day of the Dog Training Conversations Australian tour with Chad Mackin, Jay Jack, and I'm joined by my co-host, Glenn Cook. Hi, everyone. Hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, and the great thing is yeah. we've actually got a live audience. We've got like probably about 30 people sitting around looking at us. Just wondering. The great thing about our show is that it's an adult show and we don't apologize for swearing. We've already learned that while we had Jay on the show. Uh, he won the prize for like the most You pretty much most blew swears. the machine up. Nice. Yeah, most swears. The, you filled the jar. So nice. the jar is overflowing. We're set for the next year of, of fun. So thanks, nice. buddy. Appreciate cool. it. I appreciate it. Yep. So what are we talking about, Glenn? I guess today what we're talking about is a little bit of a summary of the life and times of Chad and Jay, what they've been doing, what their thoughts are originally. I mean, they haven't been here for a long time, so they really haven't settled well in Australia. But we'd probably like to hear from what they think about their time here, day one in the seminar. And I'm sure there's guys here who've been in, in the seminar who've got some questions and we'd love to pass the mic around to a few people and see what they've got to say. The most Australian thing I've seen so far was those fucking cockatoos. Oh, God. That scared the shit out of me, man. I was like, this is a movie or something. That's crazy. They shut us down. That was the end. Yeah, they were like, get the fuck off the field. Yeah. 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 The good thing about the cockatoos is they wake, they're pretty much a clock for you. They wake you up in the morning at about 5.30 and about 5.30 at night they return and say, okay, that's it, finished. That's wow. not a good thing. I was going to no. say, like, having, having, being woke up at 5.30 by a screaming bird is not my idea of a good thing. Like, that's, that's bad. Everybody that travels through is always so impressed by those cockatoos. They don't understand that they're horrible birds that destroy everything. And they just, they, they're out all day destroying stuff, just fucking people's lives up. And then they come back here and just chill out that's for the like night. The, that's like the Australian pigeon or something. <laughs> yeah. Look, I've got to be honest. I don't like being woken up personally by anything with cock in it. <laughs> I'm not sure where to go after that. Okay, well, that's it for (laughs) that. Let's put an end to that. Yeah, so boys, what have you, what's your take on Australia so far? I mean, it's, it's, I haven't, like I said, like literally the most Australian thing I've seen is a fucking bunch of birds, like cockatoos or whatever. I mean, I guess, what do you think it's going to be? Like, I mean, I'm not thinking there's going to be kangaroos jumping out at red lights or something. You know what I mean? So like. There are in certain parts of Australia. Like I mean, I where, know, I, where I, Katrina lives, there would be. I, I have sure. I haven't, I don't have enough knowledge to know like what I'm supposed to be seeing. Like and in Melbourne and Sydney, the chances of that are so remote, it's not funny. But you go up to where she lives and it's almost guaranteed. Really? Really. We got to go see. How's <laughs> traffic lights? Yeah, that's awesome. But I, yeah, I don't know. Somebody sent me a, is the drop bear thing, is that real? Yes. 
Yes, it's like very legit. real. Yes. Really? And if you're listening in America, they're 100% real. Yeah, right. Don't is, Google it. Don't. Is, is that like snipe hunting over here? I think so, yes. Does anybody else? Do you guys, anybody? Really? Dude, we're going snipe hunting this weekend, don't you think? I think we should. We yeah. should totally go snipe hunting. It's awesome. We'll, we'll right. let you in on our cultural secret that drop bears aren't, re aren't real. Yeah. Now, now what's yours? So <laughs> sni <laughs> snipe hunting is where you take some idiot like me, because uh, I fell for it, out into the woods and you tell them you're going to go hunting snipe and the, you got like a, I don't know where you were when you did, but it's like something ridiculous. Like you got to trap them. So you get like a bag and a flashlight. And they take you out in the woods and they have you do some ridiculous like snipe call or whatever. And everybody's like totally serious and you're all into it. And then they just leave you in the fucking woods. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like you're walking around in the woods doing some fucking snipe call. And then after like an hour, you're like, I don't think I'm going to find any. <laughs> and then you start looking around for your friends. Larry, Larry. And then you're just fucked. You're out in the middle of the woods in Louisiana. And, and, and what, nothing, what does the snipe call go nothing like? Nothing like, good happens in the woods in Louisiana. <laughs> Just in case you're wondering, if you're in the woods in Louisiana after dark, you are in deep, deep shit. And not from the animals. You know what I mean? Not from like the snipes. You'd, you'd be pumped if you saw an alligator. You're just like, please don't be a dude. With, <laughs> don't be a dude. With a banjo. Don't be a dude in a stained wife beater with no teeth. You know what I mean? Yeah, you've, <laughs> seen, you've seen Deliverance. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Anyway, all right, so. <laughs> but, but you can meet people like Jay in Louisiana. <laughs> you didn't write, yeah. Oh, horny yeah. dom. Yeah, horny dom. Yeah. Yeah. I want to hear the story behind that. Anyway, as far as like behind horny dom, as far <laughs> he's just horny, and his name's Dom. <laughs> <laughs> I the first day of the seminar, it's actually super uh, intimidating teaching with fucking Chad here. That's actually really intimidating. See, he's horny dumb. I'm fucking Chad. It's <laughs> <laughs> better than horny dumb fucking Chad. Okay, so how'd you get so, your name? <laughs> uh, so it's like, that's a, that's tough, you know what I mean? Because it's like, mo uh, a lot of, like, some of the stuff we do is different. Like, the way we apply the principles is oftentimes different, but the principles are not different and the principles I got from him. So it's like, it's weird to be like he's like now I'm gonna turn the floor over to Jay and I'm like the fuck for like just keep talking dude you know what I mean like I'm just gonna say what you were gonna say and then like just uh in application like I kind of have like I mean I said the same shit every single time you start to feel like I start to feel like that bad Chinese restaurant where you're like I got number four that's what I got you know what I mean like do you guys have shrimp whatever no I'm in number four like this is what we have just shut up so like it was it was a little bit intimidating but Watching him work was rad because, like, the approaches were different with different dogs. So that was pretty cool. But, yeah, that's what I got. All right. Well, I mean, I'll, I've said it to a few people, but, you know, so far – actually, no, I can't say it anymore because I've had a great day today. And, and I think everybody here was just really awesome. Like, this community of dog people that we have – that you guys have here is just really – is really great. Like, I, I've taught a lot of workshops a lot of places, and I've never had a rude – crowd but i don't think that i've ever had a group of people that made me feel more welcome than you guys have here and it's been my experience with everybody i've met from this country and iacp the australian contingent there was like really super cool and really super welcoming and and so that was like really cool it's really nice to go to a place where you know people dig what you're doing and are nice and ask good questions and want to participate and uh, I don't know. It's just a good vibe that you guys have here. It's really cool. The and vibe is rad, but the educate like the level of education 
yeah. like or, or like dog knowledge like it's it, that's super impressive to me yeah that's the other thing too is like like you know when you know after pat invited me to come here he puts me on some facebook groups full of australian dog trainers and i gotta tell you when i started reading the, the level of posts that were being put up there the level of knowledge that was represented in those posts i was going wow these what what am i gonna have to teach these people because these people are talking about concepts far more advanced than i am and then watching pat last night getting out his nepo post stuff i'm like uh you know but it's it's really cool because I still feel like we we could come in here and even though you have all of this knowledge and stuff we had new applications of ideas that people hadn't you know seen before or not seen in that way and that's the other thing too like it, it, I always love watching Jay work it's always really interesting because of what he says is, is I was talking to somebody during one of the breaks and they were talking about doing private lessons should I go with you or should I go with Jay and I'm like listen we're doing the same thing like if you watch us work. And you didn't have the narrative. You might go, these guys are completely polar opposite trainers, right? But if you listen to what we're describing, if you listen to what we're, what we're trying to accomplish in our own ways, we're coming from the same place. Mm. Like we're doing the same thing, but differently. You, you complement know? each other well. Mm-hmm. Yes. You actually do. You, you guys rebound off each other very, very well. For two guys who come from a different school of thought, it's not so different where you look at it or, or hear you guys teaching or doing running with your work that you listen to it and go, oh, these guys are right off tangent with each other. It actually fits in. It's like it's just like something that was meant to be, like a good friendship that just works. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Let me jump on that bandwagon as well. Yeah, right. I think it's excellent in that a lot of the times when at a seminar someone's like, hey, this is the method, and it's their method and it works awesome for them so it is the method that's what they're doing but you guys are presenting this is the principle and here's two methods it's the same the same thing just being done in two different ways and it proves that there's probably 10 ways to do that same thing but here's the principle and here's the application in one way if you want to do it that way and here's the application in another way if that's the way you want to do it i i feel like a musical analogy here is like we're both playing blues but he's playing blues guitar and i'm playing blues piano mm-hmm. yep. you know what i'm saying yeah like, like it's it's we're still playing the same sort of song, but the approach is a little different and the sound is a little different. But you can recognize it's still blues, and that's that's really to me the way it is. And, and that's a big thing for me. Like I I gave a speech at my last workshop, basically saying that I'm not like a, a prophet. I'm not here to fucking tell you how to do things. I'm not here to give you the the magic formula because there isn't one. You know, I'm here to show you how I do things and tell, tell you why I do things so you can take that and apply it to your own thing. I think there's a lot of people on the workshop circuit out there who are looking to become almost cult leaders. Mm. You know, they want disciples, not students. And what I love, I'm so proud of this, you know, you know Tyler was on your podcast and he mentioned me as, as an influence on him. Well, he's been an influence on me. Yep. You know, Jay is very, very deferential towards me and says all the time that, you know, I'm one of his mentors and he got all this stuff from me, but shit, I got so much from him. Like I give, what I love about being in a position to teach people is I can give somebody this idea and then they go away and they come back with something completely different, done with the idea. And I go, oh, I can steal from that and I can add to it. And that's the the way that it grows is that I have so many people that that influence me who will still cite my myself as their major influence. Mm. And and that's what I want. I want to create students who go out and come back with something I've never seen before so I can get better. Like, it's, it's selfish. It's very selfish. Like, it's, it's not, it's, it's not. It's I mean, brilliant. You know? It's bloody brilliant. 
And I think that from any good educator, if you're not doing that, if you're not, I mean, like, look, I look around the room right now at some of the guys and girls that are in here and or men and ladies and gentlemen, if, if you're going to be precise. But if I look around the room, there's a lot of people in this room. And we room, should be. Yeah, precise. we should be, yes. <laughs> very, very uh, PC we are on the Bellin Symposium, of course. But if I look around the room, there's a lot of people in the room that I know who I've originally coached them and they've gone off and become their own entity. They've developed their own business. They're working for people. They're, they're working for themselves. They're doing things. Like I said to them in, in many applications, I want to be reading about you. I want to be going to your seminar. I want, you know, I mean, there'd be no greater joy for me than seeing you as the next star. And you don't have to be a celebrity dog trainer or anything, but I really, I, I couldn't find a greater honor in being a part of the head start in somebody who took it and managed it themselves. Like, to be honest, and I'm not just saying this because he's my mate and my co-anchor. Oh, God, here we go. But look, Pat's been... Pat's been a trainer like a very small time on what I have been in compared to the time that I've actually been on it. But he's very studious in what he does. Like he goes away and it's probably to do with his military background and so forth, but he actually goes away and he collects knowledge like crazy. Like he's just incestuous about it. He goes away, he collects knowledge, he brings it back. I don't know that you Is incestuous that. the I word? Don't know that. I don't think that's, that's the That's probably right not word. the right I don't. word. I, I think you mean incessant. Incessant? Incessant? Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm going to cut that out. That means without ceasing. I, I'm going to cut no, that out. No, you got to leave that in. No, I'm, got, not, I'm not going to. you got to leave that in. <laughs> he's, he's incestuous about it. It's pretty good. I'm just picturing how that goes. <laughs> well, you you go and do things with your dad. You know? My dad? <laughs> he I listens to the show. I think it's I think it's weird that you picked dad for an example. That's yeah. kind of weird. Well, well if we, he's going we, for we, laughs, that's the best one to pick. <laughs> No, no, no. He's look. To be all honest, I, I'm very impressed because he actually does go away. He he collates knowledge. He brings it back, and like the point I'm trying to get to is that it doesn't matter who you are or who you're with. You or ruined the, a beautiful I moment. I know. I know. <laughs> I actually thought we were going to have a couple. I thought we were going like to hug a, it out, hug it out, and everything like that. But yeah, but you're not his father, so. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, All right. But, again, getting back to that, <laughs> along the lines of what you said, there are, there are people around the room who have done exactly that. They've gone away. And, you know, I've learned a lot from them as well. I've, I've been reading their blogs. I've been seeing that they're going on to other seminars and they're, they're bringing information back from across the world and they're collating it. And we're all learning. The forum that you were talking about before, one of the forums that so many of us here belong to, the Bellin Symposium, there's so many people who just grab everything that they possibly can, anything of interest and anything that they think is relevant and helpful, very unselfishly, they collate that information, they bring it back to the group and say, hey, look at this. And I can't believe some of the things I've learned from it and some of the things I've read. I just think you guys are just amazing. They're not obsessed by their own ego or their own self-importance that they're locked into this system. Like you said before, Chad, you, you've nominated it very well. Some people want to be so cultish in the way that they behave that they're thinking, you're going to steal my magic charms. If I tell you anything, you're, you're going to steal all my secrets or my magic. Well, I really struggle with that. I really do because I think that really limits you as a person if you can't be that giving and that sharing in, in the information that you've gathered. It only makes you a better mentor. It makes you a better person if you can actually go out, find that information and share it amongst a group. 
I, I agree 100%. And that that group, the Balanced Symposium that you're talking about, I, I don't like saying that out loud because, like, I don't want to advertise it. Yeah. And, because it's such a nice little, like, I've not seen any of the normal internet bullshit posturing on that group. Like, I have not seen anybody be, you know, shitty to somebody else. I've not seen anybody talking down to somebody else. Like, all the discussions in there, even when people disagree, it's all super respectful and cool. Like, it is, it's the way it should be. It's the it's the way it that, would be if we were all friends on the, in the world. That takes work. There's several people here, Mel and Marcia and David, David Pat mm-hmm. and myself that are part of the admin group. And our role is collectively to police that. So if I'm not online or Pat's not online or Mel's not online or Dave's not online, there's somebody there that's going to grab it and say, hey, guys, this is unacceptable. You know, this is not TBS worthy. You know, this is not what we want to partake in. So they cut it quick. So before there's any bullshit going on, they just rip it off. It's good discussion and people can disagree and you can post all kinds of things. But as soon as there's any fuckery, it's off. It's gone. I'm certainly opposed to fuckery, but um, I kind of wish I kind of I'm kind of disappointed. I wish you hadn't told me how much goes on beyond the scenes because I just had this. Oh, it's not. It's just cool. It doesn't happen all that time much though, and that's the great thing about it is that because we have been selective about who comes in, like we police the crazies. We just don't let them come in. We we know who the industry crazies are, the people that just want to be there for a fight. Wait, Jay's in there though, right? <laughs> yeah, but we police him. Well, the thing about the balance Symposium, like when I first was in that group, it's so valuable being in there. And I talk about, I don't think you could really be a dog trainer in Australia and not be in that group. You would be left behind because that's where everything, everything that anyone's doing cool, they talk about it in there. And then you have to vouch for someone to come in. Someone has to say like, yeah, this guy is good to go. And then if they turn out to be an asshole, your head's on the chopping block going as well. So I am like awesome. And I, I brief people like you, Jazz. I remember when I, was, I said, okay, I'm going to add you to this group. But here's the brief. Like, don't, don't be a jerk. This is, don't fuck around in there because I don't want to get kicked out. Like, I, I need to be in this group. I can't afford that. And, and then people go, oh, yeah, okay. And they take it seriously. But you see that. You think about that when you're talking to someone. You go, okay, like, I want you to be in this group. I want you to be there. And you brief people, hey. Don't fuck around. Don't start any bullshit. Don't do the normal Facebook fighting that you see everywhere because yeah. I don't want to get kicked out. And I like, and that's all recorded. You can see who vouched for anyone on the group. You can see who added them. Awesome. And then when someone does something, we all, if someone, because there have been people in there that have done stupid yeah, shit, and immediately go to and go, okay, who vouched for them? And you talk to them and go, hey, what happened to you? And people are always like, ah, they went crazy and had nothing to do with me. <laughs> please don't let me, please don't kick me out as well. So I think that's a pretty good system. And as a result, there's only, 900 something 930 something people in the group the goal of it has always been quality over quantity it's never been a race to a thousand or anything like that what we wanted to do is collaborate with some of the best minds in the industry people who don't want to be there for a fight people who want to share people who want to learn people who want to be involved in improving our industry because our industry always it's it's ever evolving to quote a good statesman of yours a former president benjamin franklin he once said hang together or be hung separately. If we don't do this, and this is the importance of the IACP and organisations like this. This is why I keep saying to you guys, we've got to be a part of this. You know, if we're not part of this, if we're not getting behind these guys and the work they're doing and collectively trying to orchestrate something great in this country and around the world, then we're, I mean, we're going to left behind because some of these other people, they're going to chew us out. And some of their methodologies and ideologies are just crazy. They're simply crazy. And I'm not saying that to insult anybody. I'm not here to pick a fight with people. I just can't believe some of the things that get put up because they're popular. And I don't know how they gain popularity. 
I'm still banging my head against the wall trying to find out how that actually works. None of us here, there's not, I don't think there's a soul in this room, not one person who got into this industry to hurt dogs. Not one. Oh, apart from Chad. <laughs> Only joking. But the reality is, is that everybody here is absolutely in love with the fact that we got to have a relationship with dogs, that we actually got to be in an industry, a wonderful industry, that we can collectively come together and improve the life of the owner-dog relationship. And we can't do that without a good collaboration. And we don't have to agree with each other. There's a lot of people in this room, there'll be times where we don't agree with everything that we're saying. You know, I mean, there's been times where I've said things and people have messaged me and said, oh, you know, that was probably a prickly point. And they've called me on my bullshit. And that's good. Sometimes I need to be policed. Sometimes I'll, I'll come home and I'm in a mood and I'm just thinking, here's a... a here's bit, a meme. Here's a meme, yeah. <laughs> and uh, somebody will, will message me and say... Take that meme down. Look, to be honest, we've done angry podcasts before where we've we've thought, nah, people need to hear this. This is things that people need. We've got some shit to say. Yeah, we've got some shit to say. And we will get right to the end of it. Just Pat and I will do an hour and a half of a podcast and we'll get to the end of it and go, kill it. It's horrible. It's rude and it's insulting and it's just two angry guys banging it out. So let's just get rid of it. Incestuously. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Pat puts a little badge on saying, I'm your daddy. <laughs> Can we leave my dad out of this, please? There you go. Oh, my goodness. All right, I've said enough. <laughs> oh, just the last point on that is, you know, we're talking about the balance symposium and you guys are here as balance trainers, but we were discussing a few of us earlier that uh, there would be nothing that was said. There was not a single topic today. There was not a single dog work that any of the most purely positive force-free person could argue with today. I haven't seen a single tool used that would be a problem for anyone and there hasn't even been a concept used that would upset anyone in any forum. That's what You're underestimating the yeah, the yeah people's okay. desire to be upset. Uh, well, no, but it's like that, that's something that I think, I, I don't know, I mean, I, I have this weird thing sometimes where I can't, I can't please anybody, you know what I mean? So it's like purely positive people in in theory will get upset at me because I don't say I'm purely positive but then all the balanced people get mad at me because I'm like yeah I just train in flat buckle collars and I hardly ever use any physical punishment and they're just like I'm a hippie to the balanced crowd and I'm an ogre to the purely positive people and I'm like I don't think any of you people would if anybody watched me work I don't think either either side would give a shit if they saw me work you know what I mean? But, like, neither side likes it when we talk about it. Well, you know, like, you remember that time you put that video up of a dog working on the spring pole? And no. And well, <laughs> you call, you, you, you gave the dog the out command. Like, you, you released the toy off the pole. Oh, yeah. The dog ran off, and you gave him the out command. And it took him, like, three seconds to let go. And, like, that guy's, like, going, that dog just blew you off on that out command. Oh, no, it yeah. wasn't that. I, I said out. The dog outed as soon as I said it, but had its hands on top of it. And when I went to take the toy, went, didn't bite it, but like, like, you know, did the little flinchy, like expectation thing. Right. And he was like, that dog doesn't respect you out. He just blew you off. And like, this, blew you off. like, it's one of those things, like when people are looking at your work to find something to complain about, mm. they'll find it. Like, okay. That leads me on to something that you and I just talked about before is the lip licking process. Oh, you mean in a dog? I was like, yeah. what the fuck are you people going to talk about? 
Like, what is going we, on? We had a makeout session earlier. As well. No big deal. Like, no, no one's really. dad was involved. <laughs> I, I cannot. Hey, I'm a dad. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot believe how overanalyzed videos of our dogs. When I, and this goes back to some of these crazy forums. And I'm involved in some of them. I actually axed myself from a lot of them because I just thought I cannot waste my time and my life reading this infuriating material and not come away feeling better about it. But you read some of it and people's going, oh, no, did you see what that train did? you see the pinning of the ears, the lip licking and all this nonsense that's going on? And you think to yourself, guys, I just don't think you're looking at it properly. I think you've missed the point. I, I really have an issue with some of the summaries that people are giving. And you, we, you and I were talking about it during the break just after lunch. Would you like to fill everybody in what we're talking about? Yeah, so... Lip licking has like become like the the celebrity cause of positive trainers. Where if the dog is showing any kind of lip lick, lip lip licking, Jeez. sorry, jet lag, uh, so much editing, yeah, if, so much. If any dog is showing any sign of that, look how stressed he is. Look how stressed he is. And I, I related to uh, Glenn's story. Um, I was at ISB conference a few years ago, well, many years ago. And I was standing with a guy named Wayne Hightower, who at the time I believe was on the board of directors for APDT. And they were doing doggy drag races. So the idea is they tell the dogs to stay. The handlers walk back to a starting or to a finish line. And on the judge's cue, they call the dog. The dog that gets to the handler first wins that heat and they repeat. But um, Wayne is watching these dogs and he's going, you see where that dog's starting to lick his lips? He goes, that's how long they've practiced stay with that dog. Like this is the point where they usually call him because his, 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 uh, understanding or his theory was that that lip licking was anticipatory. It was a sign of the dog anticipating something. And anticipation is a kind of stress. It is a sort of stress. So it's a stress response, but not a negative. This dog's seeing the, the recall and the reward. Like, I'm almost done staying. I'm almost there. I'm getting excited about that. And like he said, this is a problem with their training because they're training the dog to a specific time too consistently. And what I took away from that was when I got back home, I immediately put the dogs I was working with in stays and watched to see if they had that response. And I found out they didn't because my stays were so, and this was not because I'm a great planner. It's just, I'm just really disorganized and I'm not, I don't take careful notes about how long I made the dog stay last time. And I get bored and call them because I don't want to go on to something else or I get sidetracked and I forget to call them because I <laughs> want to do something because I, you know, I get in a conversation with somebody or something like that. So, but it's really inconsistent. So, but the, I had avoid pattern training just from being an inconsistent primate as opposed to being deliberately inconsistent primate. I was just being a primate, but I was very happy with that, that my dogs didn't have a time that they were used to being called away or called back or released from the stay. But what I did discover is that if I stood square to the dog, if I put my feet square to the dog, they would start that lip licking. Like, so I, ha I was giving them a cue. But again, that's proof that it's not always a negative response. Like, that's, that's, a, that's a positive response. The dog goes, oh, I'm almost done. I'm getting excited about that. And it's still a stress response, sure. But it's also a, a happy stress response. Like, you know, we talked today a lot about the difference between, you know, excitement and fear or, you know, these stresses that, that indicate something good by going through it, you get to the other side of it and there's a reward and, and I made it through the thing. So I think it is one of those things where it becomes, again, such a ultimate evil mm. that like it wasn't that long ago that people in the positive movement saw lip looking as nothing more than 
anticipation, which is can be a very good thing. And it's become this, like, the problem is I think that as balanced training has been incorporating more and more motivation, you know, and balanced trainers have gotten more and more on the softer side of it. It's becoming harder and harder for the opposition to balance to find shit to complain about. Yeah. Right. I mean, the, good point. There, there are some a good point. There are some the, on the other side, there's some people who are using the term balanced trainers. And this is why I, just, I don't associate with that term myself. I never call myself a balanced trainer because there's a lot of fuckery associated with that name. I love that term. Yeah. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of people out there who are just hammering on dogs and saying, I'm a balanced trainer. Well, if that's what a balanced trainer is, then I'm not a balanced trainer because mm-hmm. I don't do that. That's not how I perform. That's not how I want to train. But look, and, there's people out in society who put a badge on their chest and say, I'm a policeman. Mm-hmm. And go out and commit heinous acts of behaviour, and yet they they have nothing to do with being a policeman. Yeah, I, I get that, but but I like. Do you know that for a while the positive trainers were called the ISCP, the International Association of Canine Punishers. <laughs> like like that was that wow was, that was what they called us, and that's changed because balance training has changed. Mm-hmm. Like at that time. Everybody who called themselves balanced was working primarily in a compulsion model. Yep. Almost everybody. You, you guys did a podcast on the other day. I haven't listened to it yet, but I saw the title when I looked at your show lineup and you were talking about the Lima principle. And I think that we would probably mostly agree that that's what we identify ourselves as, as far as trainers go, that we're least invasive, minimally aversive in training practices. Well, what we talked about was that, you know, I, I don't, again... I like the idea of Lima, but we really went over was the idea of minimum effective dose mm-hmm. when it comes to punishment or coercion. Like, like yes, sometimes you're going to need it. Sometimes you're going to use it. But just like any other extreme form of treatment, you want to use the minimum you can get away with and still be effective. And so this is like so a lot of times when, when certain balanced trainers attack the Lima idea. They misunderstand it. Of course they do. And they say, well, least invasive, minimally aversive won't work. Mm. Like some people and add and effective to it. And, but to me, that's can easily be summed up in the minimum effective dose. Mm. Like, cause sometimes it's more invasive. Like I, I, I remember we were talking about pilling a dog on a forum one time, like just popping a pill in a dog's, you know, which I, I was surprised to learn that there's a lot of dog trainers that can't do that. Like they what, can't shove a pill down yeah. a dog's throat. Yeah, they don't know how to do it. Like, good luck working in a boarding kennel. Well, like, yeah, but I just like, what, how do you not like? But, well, anyway, that's the thing. Is just, there's a hole and there's a pill. You put the <laughs> pill in the fucking hole. <laughs> like, I don't understand yeah. what. So how do you do that? You're like, well, you put the fucking pill in the but, hole. Dude. Yeah, Look but the hole's it. got teeth. And the other well, thing, yeah, I guess. Well, and the other thing is, some dogs are really good at blocking with their tongue and all of this stuff. But the point is, is that I've seen conversations where professional dog trainers were asking for help on how to give a dog a pill. And I'm like, again, I'm not this guy that says you don't belong in this industry, but you got a question. Like if you're, if your level of animal husbandry is that low, you know, but that was, that was my point. And somebody on that thread was like, that's one of the things that's, that's one of those areas where people forget about Lima, she says, because that's a very invasive thing. Well, yeah, it is very invasive. I agree. It's absolutely very invasive. And if you get a dog to take a pill and a piece of cheese, hey, go for it. But the truth is, sometimes you got to do that. And it's fast. If you do it, if you, if you train to do it, it's over like that. Mm. Like, 
you grab the dog's muzzle, boom, it's done. It's minimally aversive, but it's not minimally evasive. And to make it minimally aversive, you have to make it more invasive. The question that people have to ask themselves in that point, though, is would you rather a couple of seconds of discomfort over an agonizing death over not having a very important medication, well, which it, is possible. I, I got to say I have some sympathy for it because I had a dog many years ago that pretty much always had ear infections because I hated treating her ear infections. It was so uncomfortable for her. Like she wouldn't fight me. She would sit and take it, right? But when she saw me get the stuff, she'd like, you know, start cowering. Yeah. Like, and, and I hated doing that to her. Maybe because she never fought me. Like if she'd been fighting me, I'd be like, fuck, we got to do this. But because she was so meek about it, like, fine, if you have to. I hated doing it to her. So the minute the symptoms stopped, I did what you're not supposed to do. I stopped treating her. Mm. And then the symptoms would come back. So like, she'd go a few weeks without it, then they come back. She'd go a few weeks out. This is her whole life. Because I didn't like doing that to her. And it, was, it would have been the kinder thing, I know this, for me to just go through the whole treatment process for the, as long as the, the vet had prescribed it. But I couldn't do that to her because she couldn't understand what was happening. And I felt like such an asshole. And so I can understand that thing. Like, it's not life-threatening. It's discomfort, mm. you know? And, and, and I'm not saying I would make that the same decision now. I was very young then. But it still, it still kind of breaks my heart when I think about it. Like, she looks so pathetic about it. And yeah. I, you know what? I think Jay put a good point on that the other day. Something that I haven't thought a lot about until Jay actually said it. It's the whole issue of consent. Mm-hmm. when you're dealing with the dogs like they a lot of times they just don't know what's going on like with a with a child you can say look you've got such and such you have to take a tablet and the child will go oh I don't really want to but okay and they kind of at, at a certain age they kind of get used to it not at Rip's age obviously <laughs> he'd, he'd scream and fight you like a yeah, polecat that kid's awesome yeah he's a great little kid with um, with older children they understand what's happening and with it you know with certainly with adult children and adults themselves, they understand, they can say, yeah, look, I, I don't really want the injection. I don't want the, really want the tablet, but I know that for my own health and well-being, I need to take it. But for a, a dog, like you said, sometimes they just see it coming and they're just thinking, oh, no, I've got to bunker down and fight this out because th- this whole system is horrible. And sometimes very little that you can do. And it's terrible for us when we're working in a boarding environment where we have to give the dog or the cat the medication. I mean, there's some cats here that we have to gently wrap them in a towel and put uh, medication in their neck or in their mouth, I should say, not their neck. (laughs) We're talking about holes. I don't know anything um, about cats. I was thinking, do cats have a hole in their neck? (laughs) 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 But uh, there there are times where, you know, and and I'd love to have the ability to uh, minimise the aversive consequences of of them taking that medication, but there's times that you cannot do it. Like the owner hasn't given you time. They basically just dropped the, the animal off and said, this cat needs to have... Um, certain amount of medication daily. And if you don't give it to them, it means the life of the cat. And then you've got to explain to the owner, I accidentally killed your cat by not giving it medication. Well, that's not something that happens on our watch. And I mean, there's several people in here that are, I mean, they're nodding their head now. The guys from Adelaide, they're all involved in boarding kennels, Scotty and Alicia and the crew over there. And anybody who's been involved, like people on the outside, they go, oh, well, you should just do this. And maybe if you just did this, and they've got no idea what it's like they've got no idea what you've got to do in the time frame and they think that you've got an entire day i don't want to wrap this up on the whole thing but they think you've got a whole day on dealing with one animal you've got five minutes if you're lucky to get that medication down Mm -hmm. and you haven't got the consent of the animal 
sometimes it, you have to have to struggle it down, and and mm. that's nobody enjoys that. One nobody, of the things, and even owners of their own animals don't enjoy doing that. One of the things that this is the stupid service, but it's this part of the thing that I do at, at my place is that. I will go to vets with people like they'll have these dogs that are just like ax murderer dogs and they have to get some sort of veterinary care and they'll just, I'll just meet them there. Like I just show up, like I'm the dog wrestler. Like I'll just show up at the thing and I'm like, all right, here it is. And I'm going to hold this little fucker and that's what's going to happen. But it's like, it's less invasive because I'm skilled at it yep. and I'm not upset. Yep. You know what I mean? You're quick. It's stupid, but it's like the, the difference like when you work a dog, when you play with a dog, anybody that's done actual like decent decoy work will see it. But it, the, the I can approach a dog with a slow hand. It's any who was watching me play over here, right? Just a minute ago. It's like I can approach a dog with a slow hand and elicit a stalking effect or a calming effect, depending on facial expression and breathing patterns. You know what I mean? Like the dog reads it different. So like if I hold a dog still... And as I'm holding a dog, I'm going like my face, you know, this is a terrible idea for radio, but like if I'm holding him still and I'm going like this with my face, that dog is getting agitated. If Jay, I hold, Jay tensed his face when if I'm that. holding, if I'm holding it in the same, if I'm holding the same physical patterns taking place, but my facial expression is different and my breathing pattern is different. The dog has a different response. So it's stupid, but it's like, I can make that. I'm wrestling a dog to the goddamn ground for veterinary care, but it is less invasive than it, it's, it's less aversive than somebody else who's going to not be able to hold them down well. So the only way they're going to be able, instead of going one pound more than is necessary, they're going to go 50 pounds more than is necessary because they're not sure how much it's going to take. What's that old joke? Was it Ron White that was like, I didn't know how many, yeah, he's talking about through. getting thrown out of a bar and he goes, I don't know how many bouncers it was going to take for them to throw me out of that bar, but I know how many they used, right? Yeah. It's kind of like that. Like if you don't know where the line is, you'll go well past it trying to make sure you don't fuck it up. Mm. But then that's more than is necessary. So it's like I can do less in that moment. You know what I mean? Uh, I've done similar stuff. Not because I was going to be so much better at it, but because there was going to be no relationship damage. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. like, I don't care if the dog ends up hating me out of it. Sure. It doesn't matter. I'm not his person. Yeah. I've got to tell you something that I'm always impressed by. I've got some wonderful young ladies that work for me, and I watch them in the kennels. And you can see some of the animals, when it comes to time of medicating, they're looking at them like, I'm ready for a fight. And they just come in and go bang, and they're going, oh, you're looking at the animal, and they've just got this smacked ass look on their face like Glenn has a smacked ass look on his face <laughs> <laughs> we've got to do this for, for radio purposes but you just see the animal like what just happened and the pill's already down it's in their system already yeah. and they are like they are absolutely amazing at that skill I've been involved in kennels now for 30 odd years some of these young kids that are working for me they just get in there there's, there's no mucking around they're done just in my head, and I don't even know why. Have you guys, I don't know how many episodes you've listened to, but have you ever heard me talk about the slap mill for veterinary care? Yeah, and I immediately no. had someone come over and, and do it on mine. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Oh, God, that's amazing. So summarize it for me. So a slap mill is a self-powered mill, mm. right? The dog can run on We've it. We've got one here. Yeah, yeah, right? And so, again, like one of the things that I'll do for the dogs that are really, really fucked up is instead of going to the vet, we have a mobile vet that comes to my gym. Well, that's where I work dogs out of. So like the mobile vet will come to the gym and let me 
like let me manage the dog while they're there. So instead of wrestling them down, because again, like the everybody that did the thing today, right? Like uh, restraints gonna do what? Which system is it gonna kick off? It's gonna kick off the rage system, right? So, but it's the idea of restraint, <coughs> right? So to hold them still, they either have to be physically restrained or doing obedience. Well, if they don't have the ability to do obedience at that level of duress, you have to physically restrain them. If they're physically restrained, they're feeling that emotional content. So a slap mill, I'll bring them in, put them on a mill, and all the dogs that I work will know how to run on the mill, and they'll know how to decelerate, and they'll know how to stop. So like they can run, they can slow down, we can have them stay, and then we can go. So the vet will come in, I'll put them on the mill, they'll run, you're right in front of them, let's work. And they just like, and they get that like steam out because they know it's coming. You know what I mean? Like they see the vet getting the needles ready and they're like, motherfucker. And they're just like, run, 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 run. And then you go like, you know, easy and they'll trot it down. The vet will get all situated beside them and then I'll go stay and they'll stop running. But in that moment, like if you look at a slap mill, there's side rails and they're harnessed. And if my hands are on the collar with my thumbs on their cheeks, they literally can't turn. They couldn't bite me in the face if they wanted to, because if they peel out the mill, will, the the belt will move. So it's like a it's like a shoot, like a veterinary shoot, like a cattle crush. Yeah, like a like a cattle shoot, but with a floor that moves, so they can't launch, right? So, but ideally they stay, and then the vet does whatever, palpates the stomach, or gives them the injection, or gives them the temperature, or whatever, and deals with it. And the dog's like, "Fuck!" And I'm like, "I got you, buddy. Just look at me." And then when the lady gets done with it, I can go, "Okay, work," and they can just blow it out instead of having to fight with them. Right. So we'll, we'll bring them in and we'll do rounds of this vet care. It's I'll awesome. Do it, I'll yeah, do it. Cause with, I got a good outlet. Oh yeah. Mm. I'll do it with nail clippings. Like they'll run, 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 stay, click, go. And they're just like, God fucking hate that. And you <laughs> like run it, run it, run it. You go easy. Stay, click, 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 go. And they're just like, God fucking this bullshit. <laughs> but it's way better than in the making them like swallow it like making them like fucking deal with it. It's so much easier. Have you guys seen some of that footage online where they've got zoo animals like tigers where people have clicker trained them and they've got their paw inside a, a chute where they've done a lot of desensitization work where they're touching it on the paw and they're jabbing it on the paw. And after a period of time, they built up this behavior where the tiger will actively put its paw inside the chute and they can draw blood on it. And people have shown that to me and said, you know, if people can do these with wild animals like tigers and lions and so forth, why can't they do them with dogs? And I said, they absolutely can. But the problem is, is Mr. and Mrs. Jones won't do that. And the vet can't. Like, and the vet, even if he has the skill, the, the thing is, is like, I've worked for vets before. And a vet usually schedules 15 minutes for a routine visit. Mm. Right? And... But the thing is, is no one ever comes in for a routine visit. Like, people complain about having to come in twice a year to get their dog vaccinated. And, and, and not, not talk about vaccine protocols. People complain about the actual act of having to come into the vet. Of course. And, and, but when they get in there, they've got a laundry list of problems they want the vet to look at. Oh, and by the, like, so the, they're supposed to get a routine exam and vaccinations, right? Mm. And they goes, oh, he's been messing with his ear. Can you check that out? And I think there's something wrong with his back left paw. And... Then there's all this shit going on. The vet only scheduled 15 minutes for it. He did not have time to do that training. And and they get blamed for bad husbandry when they have to be in that position. I just got to get this done. Like I, you know, and then people show up late for that 15 minute appointment. Yep. Like they don't, it's not in their job description to train your dog. And we saw at the, well, did you go to the Wolf Sanctuary at conference last year? No, I missed it. I, yeah. I got there 
just after yeah. you guys got back. Yeah, Brent and Cat were there, but they they were actually demonstrating that at the wolf sanctuary where the dog where the wolves were were putting their paws through the fence on the clicker training stuff. It was really cool. But I want to go back real quick and touch this this pill popping and yep. dog wrestling thing because there was a theme that both of us that both that sounds so bad like <laughs> pill popping and dog wrestling. Well, there was a theme that both Jay and I mentioned. And you mentioned it too, but we didn't tie it together. And I want to just tie okay, it together. Yeah, perfect. And that is that these procedures that, that are fundamentally aversive and fundamentally unpleasant for dogs, they're made more pleasant or more bearable by the competence of the handler. Mm. In other words, we practice these skills so that when we, if you are good at popping a pill, like you're talking about, it's very, it may not be minimally invasive, but it's minimally aversive because yep. it's over so fast. When I have to hold a dog down for a nail trim or Jay has to hold a dog down for veterinary care or something like that, like it is not, the dog's not going, Hey, yeah, great. That was fun. I'm glad we did that. Mm. But it's a lot better on the dog because we have the, have developed the skill necessary to do that. Like when it lessens the impact. Yeah, yeah and, and when Jay said it's easier because it's, he talked about his, his, he's not as tense, you know, Pat talked about not ruining the relationship, but there's another thing is that when you securely hold a dog and they know where they're securely held, the options change, right? When the dog thinks he's got a chance to get loose, if you're holding a dog in a timid way or you, he can feel that you don't have him secure, he's more likely to fight than if he's like, okay, mm. I got nothing to do. I just have to endure this that makes it easier for him like once the options are gone it's just like you're waiting to find out if you're going to lose your job right it's almost a relief when you find out that you lost it because now you know like you've been waiting for this hearing this discipline action for a week or something like that and then you're stressed out and they go listen we got to let you go you go oh, okay now i know but as long as you as long as you think there's a, there's options that's more stressful so when you're very good at restraining that dog and you communicate in the way you hold them, like, at least you can fight all you want. You're not moving anywhere. Mm. And they can't get any limbs going. And they go, okay, that is in itself a release of stress for a lot of dogs. Was it you today, Chad, that was talking about Temple Grandin? No, it was Jay. Yeah. yeah. I know it's on a different set of circumstances, but I was interested in Temple Grandin's idea of how she dealt with times of stress where she built that crush machine for herself where yeah. she could go and put herself in pressure and she felt relief like as soon as she felt any discomfort or any like she couldn't handle her own mother or, or anybody touching her embracing her or cuddling her but she could handle this machine putting her in pressure and she felt like she was able to handle the world a lot better by being in that tense well not tense situation that's probably poorly worded but being enclosed and having that pressure on herself at the time was able to deal with whatever stresses that she was facing in the world at the time. It's like swaddling a baby. Right? It's like swaddling a baby. In that, in that book, she talks about a study in that book I was telling you about. She talks about a study and it sounds horrific. Like when you hear her talk about it, you're like, that can't be fucking real. That's terrible. Right. But she talked about, they did it with horses where they had these horses that were exposed to a trigger and had this visceral stress response and it was measurable, the cortisone level, cortisol levels and shit like that, heart rate and breath rate. And they put them in this box, like with their head sticking out and they filled the box with like sand or with grain or something that was like literally restrained all the movement. Now that to me, I'm immediately like, that's a fucking horror show. Like, can you imagine, like, buried in sand up to your neck? I'm like, oh, that relaxes you. I'm like, go fuck yourself. That's not relaxing at all. <laughs> but she says, she says that they had, like, a measurable reduction in stress. 
and it got to the point where they would start to have the box associated with that relaxation. And when they would be exposed to the trigger, they would go put themselves in the box, even if there was no filler material in the box, just because being in the box became a safe place. Mm -hmm. But she was talking about how like circumferential pressure and a certain type of passive restraint causes systemic relaxation. Like thunder shirts for dogs. Yes. Well, that's where the, that's, that's the study that gave rise to the idea of that kind of pressure yeah, that as, compression suit. as, as stress reduction. Right. Mm. Which is kind of funny because it's like, I've always known when I was a kid, cause like if you ever had to hold a dog down, the better you are at, at doing it and making even steady pressure, the more relaxing it is. The one, the people that are bad at it, it's not like this pressure. It's like this physical restraint and it feels different. Mm. You know what I mean? First comment coming in from the crowd, we've got Jasmine Whiting <laughs> from Prime K9, veteran of the show, actually, Jasmine. Yeah, I think we're talking about, it's called deep pressure therapy. They use it in a lot of things like for kids with autism and um, mm. in certain cases of PTSD and things like that. But as far as I know, it'd be the same for dogs, exactly what you're talking about, yeah. but it's commonly known as deep pressure therapy. Is anyone Absolutely. in the crowd more learned on this? Anybody got any further information on it that would like to share? That's also part of the thing. Like when I was talking, if anybody saw me talk about the rub down outside, part of the thing I said was like actual circumferential, even pressure. And it's, it's using that idea to try to create systemic relaxation, not just massaging the muscles to make local relaxation. So we're going to send the mic over now to Dave Haywood from the Academy. What? It's the name of my school, man. I know. I, I think you guys should fight over Get it. Get your lawyer to speak to his lawyer. Point that I wanted to make was that, uh, the shift away from restraint-based learning in puppies to force-free or purely positive training, I think, is detrimental because, and the shift, I think, is misplaced. The point that's being missed is that when we hold a dog through a struggle in a sit position or a stand or anything like that, if your primary focus is on teaching the dog how to sit, then, of course, there are other ways and potentially better ways to teach the sit. But if you're looking at the long-term effect that the dog has when it learns that if I try to fight or resist or struggle against this at this point in time, it actually doesn't achieve the outcome that I'm looking for. It doesn't solve the problem. So with a little bit of calm pressure on a puppy and they learn to, you know, effectively it's escape avoidance learning, but it's the initial part of the escape where they're learning that I can actually handle, I can actually cope being physically restrained. Now, when you hold a dog in a sit and they fight a little bit and we use our, our verbal blocker, uh, uh, and then they relax and after they relax, we release them and then we play with them and they get that positive reinforcement after the event. What happens is the dogs learn to cope with those sort of situations. Now, my wife is a groomer, has been for 15 years, internationally certified and the amount of dogs over the years that she's had to fight and struggle with just to put in a bath, just to bath it. And then you were talking earlier about administering the simple task of administering a tablet. Well, a dog that's gone through that as a puppy, it actually, it doesn't associate it as being aversive. It just associates it as another part of my life. It's just one of those things that I've learned to cope with in, in this human world that I live in. And it goes even further because, I mean, we have a lot of clients that get referred to us these days through vet clinics. I don't even know where the vet clinic is. I don't even know who they are. I've never foot, stepped foot in the place. But the client that comes to train with us has gone there with a dog that they get up on the table and the dog just is relaxed. They're completely compliant. And the vet says, 
why is your dog like this? And they just say, oh, it's just the technique that we learn how to train the dog. And so when we teach these exercises, our goal is not so much to teach how to stand, but it's to teach the dog how to cope with a mildly aversive event in your life and realize that fighting and struggling and resisting isn't the means to the end. It's better for me to be relaxed and settled and compliant and that gets me to the outcome that I'm looking for. I think there are other ways you can teach certain skills. If you want to focus on skill development per se, we can do that inducively. But if you look at the other benefits that come from some mildly aversive events while they're young, it carries them through for the rest of their life. Well, that's like a big point for me on the, like everything. I always say the same shit constantly over and over again, but that's a big thing for me at the end of training. It's a rub down. Like it's the same thing because there's a certain amount of gentle insistence you know what I mean? There's a certain amount of like, we're not going to leave this exercise or, you know, if you start to slide back up the scale of arousal, I'm going to try to decelerate how far up that scale you slide. You know what I mean? But like, there's a certain amount of gentle insistence and a certain amount of accepting a little bit of deference to that exercise. But I don't confuse it with like, let's base it on obedience. It's like to get this done, it's like, we're just going to address it directly. But I think that's a big thing that people miss. Like they just don't, I think they miss such an opportunity. You should fucking do rub downs after all your training. I just don't understand why nobody will fucking listen to me. Like that's like <laughs> such an important fucking skill. And somehow it just got shit out the back. Like nobody does it. Anymore. Jeez. There's a big sell for it right there. Isn't it? You should just fucking do it. Yeah. Just fucking do it. man. What the fuck? Or I'll bash you. <laughs> well, I mean, but going back to what you were saying is, is the problem isn't, like, I agree with everything you said, right? A hundred percent. But the thing is, is, is the problem is you say something like that. And the reason why we have, a, I think the reason we have a purely positive movement is because there was enough assholes in the balanced trainer world that people said, I can't take what I'm seeing and I have to come up with a different way. Mm. And I really believe that. Like, yeah, yeah. I like, believe it too. Like, and balanced training has gotten better because positive trainers have influenced us. No doubt about it. Like, if there wasn't an Ian Dunbar, there wouldn't have been a Michael Ellis. You know what I'm saying? Like, if there wasn't somebody saying, you can do it without this shit, that people would go, hey, wait a minute, look what they're doing. Like, when you first see a dog motivated, like, when you're working old school compulsion, you don't see, you're not used to seeing motivated, you see somebody get a dog that's got a peppier response, and you go, you go, well, how'd you do that? Right? And I think, I think that, that, that it's one of those things where it's almost like a bipartisan political system, like the one I live in, where, you know, both sides are too so busy keeping the other one honest that nobody can do too much damage, right? Yeah. But, but the, the thing is, is what I'm getting at, I'm just a bit of a rabbit hole there, but what I'm getting at is that I think when you tell people that it's good to, again, especially in the States, man, this is the way we do it. If you say an 85-pound shepherd is good, then a 110-pound shepherd must be better. Right. And that's what we do. We just, if a little bit's good, a lot's better. And that's not always the case. And so if you say it's good to do a little bit of physical restraint, mildly averse, as you said, you know, like, like get through a mildly aversive event, then some asshole's going to go, well, let's make it a more aversive event. If a little mild aversion is going to make the dog more resilient, then a lot more aversion is going to make the dog more resilient. And that sounds stupid on the face of it, but that's how people think. Unfortunately, and so you have to be really careful and qualify that stuff. Like I agree mm. with you 100% that that the, like Jay talks about stress inoculation, which I love that idea. Jordan Peterson has a line in his book that says you can have a safe child or a strong child. 
you get to choose, mm. but you can't have both. Like strength Rules for life, antidote to chaos. Read it. Yeah, yeah. Everybody should. It's like Brent Dry recommended that book to me. So this is one of your your Aussie trainers. Great guy. Joe Rogan recommended it to me. Oh. Not per- <laughs> not personally though. <laughs> you know Joe? Awesome. Yeah, he's a fan of the show. He's a close personal friend. Yeah. But like I think that's a really important point is that to make our dogs strong, we have to, you know, strength comes through adversity like like there's no two ways about it you have to get used to frustration you have to get used to disappointment you have to get used to struggling but it's uh, the art of making sure that struggle is the right amount that keeps the dog like too much struggle the dog loses hope Mm. right and then you have a problem and so it's it's and again it's building that trust like my dog my dog sadie i could tell her to eat a rock and she would like i put something bowl. i said eat it she'll eat it it's a tremendous amount of responsibility, by the way, because she's not feeling well. And I tell her to eat her food, she'll eat it. She'll throw it up 10 minutes later, but she'll eat it. Like, so I have to really, and I've never, it's never been a compulsion thing. I've never like forced her to eat it. fucking eat it. You know what I'm saying? You know, but if, but if I put something in her bowl and she looks at it, turns her nose up, I go, eat it. She'll, she'll kind of look at me and say, okay, I'll eat it. Because she trusts me and she respects me. And she's used to doing that. Like I didn't train that into her. That's our relationship. So she will go through anything if I tell her to. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I haven't tested it, but there's that. It's got to be a balancing act, I guess is what I'm saying. It's like, it's like yeah. you've got to guide them through that in steps, and you have to always make sure, you're, as you say, you're always doing it for the dog's benefit, not to flex your muscles or not because it's easier for you. Ideally, if you have a dog that's that opposed to taking pills, then you should train them to take pills. Use the, some of the strategies we use today. Use shaping. Use motivation. Use premax principle. Do things to make the dog find that less aversive. You should be able to do that if you have time. But in a situation like Glenn's talking about, you're running a boarding kennel. You got a hundred dogs to give medicine to today. You know. And you, by the way, if you're running a boarding kennel, you can't just stick it in cheese and walk away because that dog could. I've seen dogs are real good at eating around that pill pocket. Mm. And hiding that pill in your mouth till you go. When you come back after that that kennel, you know, after that dog goes, you move their bed and there's like a, a pill shoved under there. Which pill do they miss? When do they miss it? That can be fatal with the right it, dog. It, it can. So you got to make sure, not that it gets in their mouth, but it gets into their, into their stomach. A good point on that too is none of the staff want to make this aversive for the dog. They don't want to fight with the dog or cat. That's not a point they want to do. They don't want to sit there and duke it out with a dog to try and get a pill down its throat. They want to make that experience as simple and as quick as possible so they can have it done and over and finished. And that, I mean, they would, in an ideal world, in an ideal situation, like you said, the owner would have done all the homework at home. They would have, they would have conditioned the dog to take that pill, put it in a bit of food, knock it straight down and be able to walk away from it, knowing that the animal has been medicated properly and walk away. However, yeah, go ahead. Dave. Dave. My 12-year-old poodle had a UTI just recently in the last two weeks. I wouldn't pick you for a poodle guy. <laughs> what kind of poodle? Dog. Standard or mini? His, <laughs> His wife's a groomer, remember that. Oh, okay. It's actually Lisa's dog, but he's now my dog. <laughs> okay. He had to have that medication for an hour before food, and it couldn't be taken with food. So based on that premise, how do we get around it? So it's not, it's not always that you can give medication or whatever it happens to be with food. If I want to train pretty healing, then maybe I'm going to use some more inducive process because I'm training for action and that's my focus. Mm. But if I'm trying to teach and develop a dog that grows up living in the human world, where there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the human world where a kid has to 
catch and break the dog before he runs across the road, I want the dog to be able to cope with that situation and not flip out. So my point is, because I agree with what you're saying, Chad, if it's taught incorrectly, then it gives the other side the opportunity to punch us. But then if we go down the rabbit hole and go, well, any form of force, where does it end? And we stop teaching people how to conscientiously and mindfully use restraint to teach dogs not to fight and struggle and resist and that this is just a normal part of your life. That I guess that was the point that I was trying to make earlier. I, and it, it doesn't necessarily have to be holding them in a sit. There's many, many different ways that no, we can do it. But I think when you thing. say, when we use force, where does it end? That hits the nail on the head because, man, I hate sounding like a one-trick pony and I'll take my shots for bringing it up every every time we talk. Here comes but, a Bart story. Well, it's Nipopo. And it, <laughs> but, like you got, <laughs> but that's the whole foundation of the system. And the guys were, say, watching me train yesterday, and they say, oh, Pat and his fancy Nipopo stuff. Now, of course, I'm very meticulous in the way like I set up. I spent a longer setting we up. We didn't mean that in a bad way, by the way. No, but I know, but... We, like, we meant that in a, like... In wow. a loving, in a yeah, loving but so way. I, like, for anyone that watches me train my dog at home by myself in the garage, like not many people see, but I spend more time setting up the session than I do in the session. The session has very particular outcomes and it goes a very a, a particular way and I set up to make sure that happens. And I use a lot of different equipment to make sure that happens. The dog almost can't do the wrong thing. Uh, but so that's people think of Nipopo, but the, the whole foundation of Nipopo is to say, where does it end? Is that the struggle can never outweigh the hope. And mm-hmm. if you stick to that, you'll never fuck a dog up. You'll never even cause any problem with a dog. And if there's struggle prior to the delivery of the hope, then the struggle announces the hope. And now the struggle is not so bad. So in my own little notch, I go up one. Right. And now, however, I'm delivering that struggle, whether it's holding the dog down, whether it's using a prong collar, whether it's whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, form that force or struggle takes on if I put it in and it stays lower than the hope that's the measure as long as it's there I'll never put the dog into I'll never flatten him out I'll never cause a problem I deliver the hope whatever the dog finds rewarding now the dog's in difficulty and he learns that difficulty announces good things not just the removal of the difficulty but some new thing that comes in and now that difficulty not just uh, is difficulty it announces the good thing so it's not difficult anymore so in my training I can go up a notch and my goal in training is to go up a notch and get so high in the struggle that I can put into the dog that it outweighs any real struggle he'll ever encounter in the real world and I've created that artificially in an environment where I can control it and I never put the dog into any sort of demotivation because I know exactly how much hope my dog has in every reward that he's going to get and I never outweigh that hope in struggle and my goal is to build that to the point where no real thing can ever outweigh that because I can't control everything in the real world. So I want to toughen the dog to the point where nothing real can actually, nothing that he's going to encounter in the real world is going to really affect him and put him into demotivation. And that's why I'm all about toughening dogs. It's like in the early stages of training, it's the only thing I care about. Like that, that to me is the big, there's, you're talking about like the rabbit hole, like if, if, if going too far is this, then what's, you know what I mean? Like at what end of the spectrum do you do? To me, it's, what is important, like the whole point of training for me is to be able to handle life situations. So if my dog needs to be able to, like in an emergency, they're going to need to be restrained. They're going to need to be created. They're going to need to be muzzled. That's mm. just the way it is. Mm. Like, and I'll have people that are individual clients and they'll go like, I like, what's the point of crate training? There's no dogs to fight. They don't pee in the house. Like, what is the point of doing any kind of crate acclimation? And I'm like, because when the world goes to shit, like in any real emergency that you can imagine, your dog's getting put in a box. 
Like if you leave them at the vet overnight for a surgical procedure, they're not going to leave them loose in the living room. They're putting them in a fucking box. You know what I mean? If your house gets burned down and they jump out a window and narrowly escape the fire and animal control catches them, they're getting put in a fucking box. Like when the world goes sideways, your dog's getting put in a box. You may as well do a tiny bit of training on this end, even if you're never going to use the fucking crate day to day. You might as well have a little bit of crate acclimation in your repertoire and then in the sideways chance that the one in a million shit thing happens to your dog, at least one aspect of the picture is not completely fucked. And people are like, oh, but that's why you, that's why you do the training. For me, it's not so I can have a dog in a crate. It's because this emergency might happen. You know what I mean? And I know that it's kind of like that. Like if things go sideways, my dog's going to need to be restrained. If I have to pull out a porcupine quill, if I have to examine a broken leg, if I have to, whatever, whatever, a little bit of restraint tolerance is going to be necessary in emergencies. So I have to prepare for emergencies and training. You know what I mean? You're going just Chad before that, that last thing that you just said, then restraint tolerance. Yes. That's a beautiful summation of what we're talking about. Well, that's, the, that's, that's fundamentally what we're trying to achieve here. That's the point. Yes. Well, so for me, everything in training is about people don't mean what they say and they don't say what they mean. And, and like they do shit sideways. It's like you want your dog to be cool at a door, but they don't really know how to teach the dog to be cool at a door. So they teach your dog to sit at a door. Nobody gives a fuck about the sit. Nobody cares. Like nobody would have invented sit at a doorway if the dog hadn't been running through the doorway. But like, you can't think of what you mean. So you just fucking say sit. And so people have this idea like the dog, there's a value in teaching restraint tolerance for sure. But people can't like, they don't want to address it directly. So then they'll go like, we're going to do a stand with restraint or we're going to do a sit with restraint. And then people look at it and go, there's so many better ways to teach a fucking sit. And you're like, well, that's not the point, but I don't, I don't conflate sitting with restraint taller. Like I'll just separate the two things and go like, look this right now, this rub down is restraint tolerance. You know what I mean? It's all this other shit. I'm going to do veterinary simulations and I'm going to do range of motion checks and I'm going to do a health check on my dog. Cause that's where I find lumps and tumors and you know, sore spots. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's got a value beyond its uh, emergency preparedness, but the other thing in my head is you've got to learn how to tolerate restraint. You have to, it's not safe to have a dog that can't tolerate restraint. That's just unsafe. Mm. But then it's like, I don't mix the message and have somebody walk past me and go, what the fuck are you doing that to your dog to make them sit for? I'm like, I'm not at all. But again, like I said, because it's in the auspice of a rub down, nobody's ever walked past me and going kind of fucking asshole. Are you rubbing that dog down? Like how massaging him? How like dare that. you massage that dog into relaxation? You piece of shit. You'll, you'll find you know someone. I mean? I'm sure. I'm certain. Well, put a video online. Well, that's, that's he's licking his lips. <laughs> <laughs> But that's that's kind of where I was going is is like there's going to be unreasonable people who get upset about everything you do, right? And there's going to be unreasonable people who are unreasonably soft on dogs and unreasonably permissive. And I know the positive trainers will say positive does not mean permissive, and I do understand that point. But there is a subset of positive trainers who are bad representation of that group who are permissive because they don't want to say no. And I don't mean – like I shouldn't say they don't want to say no because – not even get an argument. They don't want to set boundaries. They don't want the dog to ever experience the stress of not getting what it wants. Like, and that's not training. That's just right. But on the other side, you have in the balance community, you have people who are bad representation, who give the dog nothing, who 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 actively want to squash the hope. 
You know, like you will do what I said because I said so and don't even think about what's in it for you, right? You got those people on both sides. But I have a saying I've been using for a long time, not just dog related, is that the reason we have laws is that people can't be cool, right? You know, hey man, could you get your sheep off, off my lawn? Oh, sure, sorry, I didn't mean to. That's cool, everybody's cool, no problem, no need for law, right? But you go, hey man, can you get your sheep off, your lawn, off my lawn? No, fuck you. I'm going to put my sheep where I want to go. Now somebody can't be cool. And now we have to come up with some some way to deal with that. And then, and that's what happens. And I really feel like in the dog training world, that's why we have all these factions. The reason positive trainers and balanced trainers have become so so factionalized is because people just, there's enough people who just can't fucking be cool. Like Pat gave a wonderful example, like a, a formula. Don't let the struggle outweigh the hope. That's fucking beautiful. But Common sense should tell us that. Like, we shouldn't have to have a formula for that. We should go, that's too much for that dog. Back off. And if you love the dog, you should know that. But you should also, if you love the dog, know he needs this, right? And, and so the whole point is, like, where does the, the question of where does it stop is, is a slippery slope argument. And slippery slopes are a fallacy. They're a logical fallacy. If you take a logic course, they're going to tell you, that's a fucking fallacy. Just be cool. Like, do what's best for the dog. If you're doing that, you're going to be okay. If you're not doing that, fucking fix it. Here's here's the line that I give about a bunch of shit, but this is especially true when I'm talking about dog training. I want for, not from. Right. Yep. Right? Anytime I'm working with a being, whether it's human or dog, I want for them. I don't want from them. I want for that dog to be able to handle the emergency of being restrained. I don't want from them to fucking respect my restraint. And that's a different thing. Right, that's what I want to say. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't want to go like, you know, you better, I need you to fucking respect me. So I'm going to show you to fucking give me my respect. I want for that dog to be able to go through a situation without more stress. So I'm going to have to help them, but I want for them. When I take a dog, like he's talking about leaky toddler, when I take a dog and I want to play with the food, I don't want for you. I want for you to have access to this awesome game. I don't want to take you. I don't want to take, you're going to give me this. You're going to interact with me. Mm -hmm. I want you to have the game. I don't want from you the act of obedience. Did, did I steal that from you? I have no idea. Because I've got the, I've got a <laughs> quote. I, I got a quote that, that I actually made a meme of. Is that training? I want is for a, you, not from. Well, no training. It's not about what you want from the dog, but what you want for the dog. Oh yeah, it's got to go in name bubble. And one of have. one of us, one of us stole it from the other one. I don't know which one. I got. I think I got it from like my dad, if I'm not mistaken. Then I must have got it from you because I never. Because he dad. was again, again. Remember earlier today, I made everybody comfortable talking about how dog training is a lot like dating. That was my dad's dating advice. <laughs> Which is so which is extremely well. liberal. That's extremely <laughs> like liberal and cool for an old biker dude in the South in like 1980 something. That's right? amazing, actually. To go like you got to want for them, not from them. And I was like, that's, that's how love, that's how, that's, 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 that's how love behaves. There you go. <laughs> so I reckon uh, before it gets too late, we we should look at wrapping up pretty soon. Sweet. But one thing I do want to do is just bring in a point from the crowd and I want to hear about someone's aha moment from today. So I'll tell you mine quickly while you're thinking about it. So that, and then I want to see someone's hand go up and we're going to pass you the microphone. So the thing I, uh, you're talking about today is the idea of anything being neutral, dangerous or useful. And I remember actually when you guys talked about that in your podcast, I, it was a, 
a huge aha moment for me when I heard that because I'd never heard those terms and put it in that way before. One of those, like I can remember where I was when I was listening to it and I was like, man, and then I stole it wholesale and sold it as my own to other people, to clients. But it it was an aha moment for me. It was something I hadn't thought of before. I don't know what you guys, that episode is called. And you spoke about today, but everyone listening, if you haven't heard that episode of Dog Training Conversations, you should go on. I have no idea what episode that was. Yeah. We never remember our episodes. Yeah. What episode was that, one of the things that I liked that but just before we jump onto onto the crowd was that I, I just liked the way you said it was that we're all trying to make equipment redundant. And I think it was you that said that, Chad. I like the way you said that. I think that perfectly summarizes what we're trying to do is that we, as collective agents in training, we're all looking at the use of equipment, but then to make it redundant as quickly as possible. It's there to serve a purpose, then get rid of it or scale it down. I really thought that was nice. Well done. Thank you. Marsha Davies, personality. Nicely pronounced. Thanks, Pat. I had a million aha moments, but one thing that really stuck with me today was when you said sometimes you get to the point where you're managing something and that stops you actually resolving it. You get into this point where you're managing and you can just keep managing. That's fine. You don't actually go to solve it. And that's kind of stuck with me. I've had issues with my own dogs into fighting and I haven't had a fight for probably three years now. But I realised today I'm actually still just managing that. I haven't solved it. So that's something for me to take away to, for sure. So with that, I'm going to say uh, I think we need to carve out some time tomorrow, Jay, for you to go over your reintegration protocol because I think that would help her a lot. Okay, sweet. Because that's Jay's got it great. I mean, he lives with, he lives with four fucking game red pit bulls. One that, of them's shit. One of them them looks real good, but won't put up. The other ones are legit. But so, and they've been in hospitalization fights before, and now they live peacefully together, and it's not management. There's some management involved, but it's not management. Like, he's he's got a protocol that works for that. He's got a program. So I definitely want to see that added tomorrow. Got another one. Kirsten Kemling, Canine Fun. Thanks, guys, for being out here in Australia. It's great having you here. One of my aha moment was the analogy with the leaking toddler, which I find just amazing because quite often we pose, we basically put all these expectations and all these things that we want from our dog and that goes in direction, Jay, what your dad said. But it's such a moment of like, just, I give you, I give you these treats, I'm this leaking toddler and I don't expect anything. And it's just such a generosity that we sometimes forget from animals that constantly give us this generosity and we just take it for granted Ooh, so like yeah that. thank you for that and not made great. the connection i like that thank you you just you just made my own analogy better <laughs> mel sweeney barking mad barking dog barking something <laughs> thank you that not analysis of my personality thanks Pat, but my business is barking dog barking dog <laughs> yeah but bark yes with a ch not an rk that's correct so today uh chad said something that i really liked he'd been you'd been talking about skinner and how in behaviorism there's this really kind of reductionist view that there's not really anything going in, on inside there's not much in the way of cognition or emotion it's just all behavior and I popped up in the break and said, yeah, like if, if you don't think there's a lot going on inside and you don't think there's a much of an emotional life for the dog, you aren't forced to then have empathy. And empathy can be hard work. Empathy takes a lot from us as well as considering the dog. And I said that and you then went on and said, and I, and I kind of went, hey, I haven't thought about this. And if you could maybe 
go on and just explain it again. So this is something that uh, Dr. Sapolsky talks about in Behave. And he said that uh, sympathy is far better than empathy in terms of making us better people and uh, helping people. Empathy, when we feel empathy, we experience the emotion that the the being that we're feeling empathy for does. So if the being is scared, we feel scared for them. If they feel sad, we feel sad for them. If they feel angry, we feel angry for them. And all of those emotions affect our ability to make judgments. Like, and he, and there's done, they, they, they did studies on this actually. They, they, uh, Buddhist monks are taught to practice loving kindness or sympathy for all beings, but not empathy. And they did an exercise where they'd have them read news articles about things that had happened in these oppressed countries and encouraged them to feel empathy. And they all said it made them like very uncomfortable, very viscerally unhappy. But if they practice loving kindness towards them, they can still help. They can still connect. They can still, I still feel for you and I still want to help you. But now my judgment's not clouded by this strong emotional response. And it was a eye-opening moment for him because we talk about empathy like it's the gold standard in, in compassion. But truthfully, the science even shows that sympathy makes us better people than empathy does. And that's that's a huge thing. So I've been trying to practice more sympathy than empathy lately. And it, I, think it, I think it helps. But yeah. I'm just a sociopath so that I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't understand any of that. <laughs> I feel nothing for you. Is yeah, but you no feel one for else? your dogs. Huh? But you feel for your dogs. Oh, yeah. Dogs I feel for. Dogs I feel for. People I'm just like, oh, fuck. Can I share my aha moment real quick, please? Because yeah. this is something. It, it, I, I made Jay go back and talk about it more because it really hit like home. He's, he's just going to throw me a bone because nobody said anything about it. They're all like, Chad said this. No. Now he, feels, <laughs> now he feels bad. So he's like, Jay said something good too. you No, because no, you will remember I made you go back and talk about it. Like, yeah right that's sympathy not empathy I made, I made you go back and talk about it like because one of the things that oh, some backstory on this a long time ago when Jay was Jay was just getting into Panksep and I had not started reading him yet I was getting all my, he was he was my Panksep dealer you know <laughs> he'd be like he'd be like Panksep is this oh that's cool right a close personal friend you know yeah, right? like, like, like he was he literally would drop little pieces of Panksep at me I go oh that's cool that's cool you know until I finally got my own copy of Effective Neuroscience and started getting, getting it you know direct but and then he blew me away then he was like did you realize that the prefrontal cortex I'm like I gotta go dude <laughs> I can't I gotta go so I gotta but anyway, so I'm, I'm in this discussion and somebody's asking the question about why is fear bad? And I can tell you what I feel about why fear is bad, but I didn't know the science. And they were basically trying to say science doesn't tell us fear is bad. So I asked Jay about that and he said, you know, he said, oh, that's easy. He goes, the systems you access more often are the ones you're most likely to access in the future. And so you're building a, like you're building a muscle. And I've used those analogies all the time to try and explain to people why we don't want to keep triggering the fear system, why using fear as a training strategy is detrimental in the long run because it increases the propensity for fear in the future. And all of these things, and I, is no matter how I described it, I couldn't find a way where people go, oh, like they kind of go, yeah, I get, kind of get it, you know, but I couldn't find that that thing to give them the light bulb moment. And Jay said it today, man. He goes, if I throw a ball to you, you're going to catch it with the hand you normally catch it with. And I was like, oh, that is the best analogy to explain that. Like, like if 
I normally catch the ball with fear. Then when the ball's coming, I'm going to go to fear. And so if we train the dog, condition the dog to go to seeking, then that's what he's going to go to in that new environment. And that was, uh, and that was, that was, that's the beauty. That's, that's a perfect analogy. Like when that analogy takes something so complex as that idea and breaks it down into a one <laughs> sentence, like that was like, that was like, that was worth my fight over here. I'm going to make a lot of money <laughs> off of that. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. So yeah. that was, that was, I mean, that's, and that's why, you know, yeah, I'm not going to, you know, turn it into a compliment fest, but that was, that was my aha moment today. Like I was like, Oh my God, that's a great way to put that. So Alyssa Rankin, can I, I something good? That whole volcano stress level <coughs> model uh, was definitely like, I, have always kind of grappled with that sort of thing, but I've always felt I'm trying to convince my clients as to why they need to consider the health and consider the home environment and all of that sort of stuff. And like that volcano just makes it so crystal clear that it was just, oh my fucking God, that just makes so much sense. I legit had that cartoon because I got that completely from Chatty at a workshop and he had like a couple of PowerPoint slides and stuff and they were awesome like slides with the fucking levels would pop up and I was like that's amazing but then like I couldn't do a PowerPoint presentation for everybody so I had one of my students make that cartoon and like legit all the clients that come in I'm like here's the first thing take this put it on your refrigerator it's perfect it's and so the stupid wonderful. thing is like you know you have a good lesson when people don't need you more anymore because just like you're saying you want to make tools obsolete my job's to make me obsolete yeah same yeah and like if i give people that understanding of the layered stress model and they put the cartoon on their refrigerator there's like a third of the people that don't need any more anything because you're like look dude just your dog is a basket case of shitty health and you have a fucking junk lifestyle yeah and if you can fix those two things we will have effectively reduced the layered stress model he's going to stop fucking freaking out you know what I mean? Like there's so many people that like after lesson one with that, they're like, they're done. So maybe it's not the best thing to give your clients. I don't know. But it is our but job to make it's us awesome. not I'm just like, anymore. I go in somebody's house and they have that on their refrigerator and I'm like, you're trying, like you're going to work it. You know what I mean? But that, that, that cartoon was like my contribution to the trying to get the idea of what he said across. Georgina Harrington doesn't have a dog business I'm aware of. <laughs> I thought you were going to say doesn't have a dog. I'm like, who the fuck cares? Has <laughs> many <laughs> dogs. Who comes to dog training workshops without a dog? What's your business? Do you have a business then? No. Just cool chick Georgina? And, and it'd be ahead. helpful if you turn on the mic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, don't worry. I didn't have a dog business there you go. for the first You're on. four years. I think on that volcano thing, I come from stock dogs, working stock dogs. Yeah. And it has never, ever made sense to me how many issues you see with those breeds of dogs in pet homes mm. and totally unrelated issues to like not even just herding behavior issues but it's because of their lifestyle puts them right at the top of that volcano because yes. it's nothing compared to what they should be living yes so they sit there and then they've got issues in every single area yes. because they're already sitting at that point constantly yeah. whereas like for instance my dogs I don't have the issues there because they're sitting way down because they're fulfilled. Yes. You know. It's huge. With their... They're stock dogs working stock. Yeah. They're yeah. doing what they're meant to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Biological fulfillment is like the harping point that I start with before you hear me say games and rub down. But... <laughs> I think Mel had something else to say. But Katrina, while you've got the microphone, Katrina's my favorite person. Say hello. 
Hit us with, get, describe your best meme to us. <laughs> best I don't meme. think the world's ready to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> I've got to tell a quick, funny Katrina story. Pat, <laughs> Pat said to Turn me the one, mic on so I can talk. <laughs> Pat said to me one day, he goes, are you friends with Katrina? And I said, yeah. And he goes, do you get her memes? I said, yeah. And he goes, they are so outlandishly funny that I had to actually block her as a friend for a, a little period of time just because I was wasting so much time laughing my ass off at her memes. <laughs> I want and that. then I missed you and I had to go back. I was like, I expect I spent a like, friend request. I spent like two weeks of no Katrina memes and I was like, fuck it, I'm going back. <laughs> now I kind of want to know. I'm like, I want to see these fucking memes. Oh, like you got to stick me on a list. You've got to be really open-minded and ready to laugh I, at I can't imagine... <laughs> That you would think I'm not open-minded. <laughs> I guess um, I guess my takeaway from today is probably how much like George's, you know, we've got to be able to look at dogs that are in homes that aren't biologically fulfilling anymore, which is for most. our working breeds, it's most homes now. There's mm-hmm. few homes that can really offer them that lifestyle. And through play models, I guess, it's probably a really great way to be able to, you know, access that... I guess, hunting model mm. and be able to pull parts out of it to, you know, give them something back. Well, it's like the word we always use is surrogate activities. You know, if you can't give them the actual lifestyle, then try to find surrogate activities that can spin the same dials that mm. they need. You'd you be know? amazed how many times people come and ask my opinion on a breed of dog. And I'll ask them, I'll say, summarize your lifestyle. They'll give it to me and I'll say, a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel would be perfect for you. And I go, okay, that sounds good. Thanks for your advice, Glenn. I really appreciate it. They'll ring me back in three weeks later going, oh, I've got a Kelpie. <laughs> Katrina sent it to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was Katrina Hartwell, my favorite person. Uh, over to Mel Sweeney and I'll get it right this time. Barking dog. Just to intercept on the way through. Alyssa Rankin. <laughs> Can I encompass? Um, to, to tie off on that bit, I used to hunt and all that sort of stuff as well we a whole lifetime ago and people who find out that they you know automatically assume that the dogs are aggressive and all of that sort of thing I was like they were some of the most I was vet nursing at the time and I was like you bring a pig dog in and that thing will lay down there and we can stitch it up like without any sedative yeah. and I was pretty well, it went pretty quickly that I'd watch the blue healers to be honest <laughs> and then the pig dogs I would just come in there was this one big was huge head and I'm like his name was Cash he was my best mate we had to stitch him up a number of times yeah but yeah so that outlet kind of well they're the most stable dogs because they're doing they're the most stable dogs because they're doing what they're meant to do well it's not just doing what it's it's doing what they're meant to do but they're living the they're they're learning the lessons through the activity it's lifestyle enrichment and it's a pain in the ass to teach the lessons like for example there's a lot of life lessons like we got to put our kids in sports now you know what i mean like as stupid as that is like you there's you didn't used to have to in whatever 1920 you didn't have to put your kid in sports because they're working on your fucking farm like they're gonna understand the value of hard work and they're gonna understand you know what i mean like all this bullshit all these lessons that you learn through these physical activities they're gonna learn it if you don't put your kid in football now do you know what i mean like you're in deep shit like you got to put your kid in something because they're gonna miss out on on these really important iconic life lesson moments that you have to fucking completely manufacture because they're not gonna find them 
naturally anymore. You have to manufacture them. Life is so hard. We are so easy now. We have to manufacture hardship yes. to, to, for stress inoculation. But yeah, and that's the thing is like, it's, it's, it's not even just an outlet or they have a job. It's, it's also like that idea of self-efficacy, building self-esteem. Like those dogs are so mellow because they have faced resistance and overcome it successfully. And they've learned how to have stress tolerance and they've, you know what I mean? And they're like, that's a different dog. Like that's, that's not, it's, it's, it's not a juvenile, like it's not, we neotenize dogs both physically and emotionally now. Like they want these juvenile fucking pathetic dogs. You know what I mean? Like an adult can sit in a doctor's office and go, yeah, those dogs are like the adult, like they've accomplished things. They've seen things, they've faced things, they've overcome things. You know what I mean? Boy, you take a dog that's like a fucking babe. You know what I mean? Like even though they're five years old, they've never accomplished anything. They've literally like never had that. Like I'm going to take the school bus to school like a big boy. They're just like, it's all bad. And they just freak the fuck out. And people are like, oh, they need training. And you're like, yeah, I mean, they do now. But the fucked up thing is training is literally just going to be manufacturing these surrogate life lessons to yeah, no, of course it is. That's what I do all day with humans. <laughs> I mean, like legit, like that's what I do like all day with people. And it's the same. I do the same thing. Like, how are we going to do it? And I'm like, we're going to learn how to do this game called jujitsu. <laughs> The, the, the problem now, guys, is it, it's not even a matter of this dog needs training. It's this dog needs medication. That's yeah, the issue. Yeah. And they're doing the same thing with children. I think that's the crime of the 21st century, that I'm not anti-pharmaceuticals, not at all. I'm, I'm not saying that I don't agree that they don't work and there's not a place for them in situation. I'm not a mad anti-vaxxer or anything like that. I do believe, you know, you, all you guys know my wife is um, studies natural medicine and and we preach a lot of it, but we're both practical people in that sense. If we need to take pharmaceuticals for our benefit to stay alive or because it's what we need to do, we're happy to do it. But the reality is when, I don't know if there's anybody in the room here who's seen a dog that people have dosed this dog up on pharmaceuticals and you'll think to yourself, why? What was the reason behind that? It just seems like it was just this crazy quick fix. And you as a trainer, you look at it and go, this could have been solved. So easy and so readily. And same thing with children as well. You know, like there's been many times where mentors have taken children on and they've given them a bit of tough love. And you see these kids overcoming these great obstacles in their life and they come through it so well. And there's such better adults from it. They're compassionate, sympathetic, empathetic. You know, they're good, valuable people in society. And the same thing can be gained from dogs as well if we didn't just rush to just jump on this pharmaceutical train. I just think it's a tragedy. Mel? Kind of a change. I'm not sort of saying, oh, here's my aha moment or ask a question. Well, it is a question. I'm always really keen to hear about particular dogs that are memorable in a dog professional's career. Is there a particular dog that was a particular gift or particularly formative? And I'm just wondering if either of you have that. And I'm also, I'm always really keen to know if people have had a dog in their life that had a really great sense of humor. I'm always interested to hear about dogs that have got a sense of humor. <laughs> I don't know. My dog Jax was, is my um, real transformative dog. He's like the, he's the one that I've learned. I mean, I've learned some lessons from a bunch of weird, interesting dogs, but like he's my dog and he's the one that has taught me the most shit as a trainer. 
just because he's like his frustration was higher than I've ever seen. Like his, his frustration system was like, he would, if you, you know how like you're unclear sometimes with a command, you're like, your cues are kind of funky and like you say sit, but you made a weird hand gesture and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. He, that confusion, like that's that, that, that like stress as they try to figure it out. You're like, fuck, this doesn't make sense. And you see him like offering the wrong behaviors. His response to that wasn't offer the wrong behaviors. It was literally jump up and take your face off just out of like, dude, I don't fucking know. And you're just like, wow, Jesus. Like it was so fucking crazy. Physical restraint just immediately set him off. It was just so bad. He was like walking around with a time bomb, like walking around, like carrying, like, you know, in the cartoons, you're like, if you fucking shake it, they're going to blow up. And you're just like, and it was so stupid and everything made him mad. And he would just, he would get mad at something and like not be able to figure it out or not be able to get to it. And then immediately like turn around and like committed attack you. He's put a bunch of holes in me in the early times. You know what I mean? It's just like, fuck. And you're just like, this is fucking crazy. <laughs> like, I don't know. You're really uh, selling this dog to us. No, right? he's amazing. He's my favorite. He's amazing. <laughs> like now he like runs around my gym. I've got a video of him playing tug with a six year old. Right? Like, I've got a video of him playing tug with the six-year-old. To be clear, the six-year-old's holding the toy. He's yeah. Not the the six-year-old isn't the toy. Yeah, right? But, uh... <laughs> good call. <laughs> but, but it was having to learn how to have, like, no frustration and, like, having to learn, like, really precise, like you have to break it down more. Like what was broken down enough for a normal dog was still confusing to him. And you have to break it down more and you have to really work on motivation. And I had to work on his stress tolerance and his frustration tolerance and the whole idea of how to rewire a dog's head to have a lower fuse in the rage system and how to be more in seeking than in rage. And he taught me about the whole, like the importance of the leash. I wouldn't have ever realized how important leash work was because most of my dogs were very tolerant of leash restraint. I mean, they'd pull, but they weren't like, fuck you. They were just like, I'd rather be over there, you know? But Jax was just a fucking nightmare. And, and, and had I not found Chad, like that dog gave me the reason to apply a bunch of stuff and made me like learn how to be softer. Like Chad's got a line that says, if, if I want to say it right, like if you want to be heard, speak louder. And if you want them to listen, speak softer. And with that dog, you know, you go down and he'd, blows it off or fucks it up or whatever. And then of course everybody goes uh, uh, down and you don't mean to necessarily, but you add a little very small and that dog down doesn't do it uh, uh, down. And if you, it was just a little bit more, he was just like, it would go from like, I love you. This is awesome. I love life to like, well, I'm going to fucking kill you. And you're just like, shit. So after working with Chad with him, it, it was like, you'd whisper like, you know what I mean? Like when he's starting to fuck it up and I know he's starting to fuck it up, but it's not because he's being disobedient. It's because he's getting like fucking stressed. And then you go, uh, uh-uh, and then I'll go uh, down. And then he's like, <sighs> and he'll doubt it. You're like, nice. you know what I mean? But you almost can't hear me working with him because it's like, it's so mellow. You know what I mean? But like, dude, that dog taught me about being softer. He's like the hardest dog I've ever had. And he taught me about being like more gentle. So that was cool. And he doesn't really have a sense of humor. He's too stupid to have a sense of humor. 
like you legit. Be smart to have a no, sense he's of humor. not. He's like it's bad. He just. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> like, oh yeah, he'll just like, he's got a fly, and he'll just like, oh, it's stupid. Like if you stand still for too long, he'll get legit upset. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like if you do a thing, like if I look out the window, like if I'm doing this and I'm watching TV, everything's cool. And if I go, if like that, looking at something and like if I'm reading and I get real still, he'll just, and you're like, what? Why are you frozen? You're like, it's all right, dude. We're good. I'm okay. You were still for a second. Freaks me out, man. Like he's just so stupid. He's awesome. He's done a great job with that dog. He's my favorite dog in the world. That dog, I think, legitimately in the hands of almost any other trainer I've met would have had a swift introduction to the needle. Like, and I'm not saying, like, I get in trouble for saying this. Like, I've been accused of saying Jay was the best dog trainer in the world because I said that that there are very few trainers that could have handled that dog the way he has. And, And I do believe that to be the case. Like, Jay has the unique combination of compassion and stubbornness to not give up on that dog. And that's what he needed. And he found, you know, he found the help that he needed too. like, he, he, he came to my workshop for the first time to, to cross me off the list of bullshit. Oh yeah. Like he's like, this guy's full of shit, but I got to go check it out before I can say for sure. And that was legitimate how how we met. And, and no, dude, there's videos online of him taking dogs and like doing this with a leash. Like play like Jay's you know, making magic hands. Like like fucking jazz hands. Like to, you know what I mean? So what you gotta do is you put the dog on a slip lead and you go like this and he like wiggles his fucking hands and the dog just oh, is good. And I'm like, Oh fuck you, that's not real. Like that's really you can't that's not real. And then I go and he puts my dog on a leash and like fucking dog, like I'd never seen it. And he's just like, like he put a hole in somebody's water bottle and ripped a hole in somebody's at the seminar. Like just smashing, just like just puncturing fucking water bottles and just and I'm like, everybody watch out. It's fucking <laughs> so bad. It was just so fucking bad. If I had any social conscience, I would have felt bad or embarrassed. I just fucking don't care. I was just like, you know. But then he takes him and I'm literally like, are you just, I signed a release. So this is on you, bro. You know what I mean? I just handed him. He's like, give me the leash. I'm like, are you fucking sure? Yes. All right. Like that. And he like flutters the fucking leash and my dog laid down. And I was like, that's bullshit. Like, how the fuck did you do that? It's like a bad magic trick. You're like, how'd you do that? What'd you do to my dog? And then he handed it back to me and he's like, wow, and he fucking takes it back and he like settles. I'm like, this is fucked up. It's not fair. And then after that, I just wouldn't, I kept sending him videos of me. Am I doing it right? My dog's like fucking, I look like I'm catching fish. I'm just like, does this look right to you? So, yeah. Um, anyway. So I, I'm going to talk about real quick about one dog in a little more detail than another. The only reason I'm going to talk about one dog is because she was talking about the working dogs, the stock dogs, and it made me remind me of this dog, this Catahoula that I trained many, many years ago named Zeke. And Zeke was straight up dog aggressive. Like, I'm not talking about dog reactive. I'm talking about this dog would straight up kill another dog. Any male dog, he would kill, right? Except when they were working cows. When they were working cows, he was a team player. But his his owners knew that they had to put the dog away before the last cow got put away. 
Because <laughs> as soon as the gate was shut on that last cow, Zeke was going for the closest male dog. It didn't matter which one it was. And he would straight up kill a dog. So that's, just, that's that benefit of work. Like, that didn't make him a stable dog by any stretch of the imagination. But when he was working, he was stable. When there were cows to be moved, he didn't care about those other dogs. But as soon as that job was done, he's like, <laughs> what's the next thing to do? I'm going to help you exit the world. That's my job now. <laughs> right? So that's just a, it's a really fascinating example of, of that responsibility to work. Now, I've been doing this for 25 years, so there's been a ton of dogs that have influenced me, and it's, it's almost unfair to try and pick one. But there is one that I have to go to, and I wish I could say it was one of my dogs, because all of my dogs have taught me something. And like you know, my dog Molly, who was my first dog I had as a professional trainer, she taught me a lot, and my Malinois Jessie taught me a lot, and you know, my dog Sadie now she continues to teach me things. But the most influential dog probably was a dog that came through named Collie, and Collie was you know she was a pit bull of some combination ears cropped to the skin like i mean so there's just holes in her head this is before i knew jay and i didn't know that the bait dog was largely a bullshit thing and so it's poor bait dog yeah so so this dog came in and you know she told me the dog had some dog reactivity issues you're pretty intense shit and you know the rescue had told her it was a bait dog and i didn't know the question at the time um, of course, now I know that's not the case, but at the time I believed it. That's what makes good bait is like violently aggressive. Well, I mean, that was the idea was that the dog became aggressive because of, you know, but anyway, so that's what you want when you're catching fish, a worm that's like, fuck you. What are you looking at? I'll fucking stab you. Get off me. I told this woman when she brought the dog in, I said, look, I can help you. I'll do my best to help you out. But I'm still, I was in the socialization. I was, this when I was very young in the socialization thing. I said, but you know, I don't think we're ever going to do socialization with this dog. I don't think she's going to make it. Like, actually, I told her she won't make it. I didn't say I don't think. I said, there's no way I'm going to let this dog loose with other dogs. Like, it's just not going to happen. But I gave her a group class membership. Which and trainers will tell you if you give it away, people don't appreciate it. If you give them free training, they won't work hard. And for the most part, that's true. If you give it away, people tend to not find it's that valuable. But in this case, I gave her a scholarship because she was a good person. And she took on this dog that was a, a real mess and more than she bargained for. And uh, so I just said, just come to group class. And so she came to group class and she worked hard. And then after she finished the group class, she came to my ongoing Saturday class for all my graduates. It was, just, it was kind of like a, a, a big private lesson. People come in, we work on some stuff, we'd socialize. We come in, work on some stuff, we'd socialize. And she came for two and a half years. She came <coughs> to every Saturday class I had if I was in town. She never missed one. And she worked her ass off. And that dog got to be, then eventually she's staying in socials with the dog on a leash. And then one day, everybody was late to class. Like, it was, for some reason, it was just one of those fortuitous events where the only two dogs there was her dog and this dog, Bart, who was, at the time, my marshal. He was the dog that I could count on to keep socials cool. And so I said, I, I let Bart off the leash, and I had her walking Collie around. I said, go ahead and drop the leash. We'll see what happens. So she dropped the leash, and no problems. And I'm like, okay, let's take the leash off, see what happens. 
we took the leash off and uh she played and it was quite possibly the first time that dog had ever played with another dog in her life and i can't talk about it without choking up because she was doing what she was supposed to do this was a very natural behavior for her that she had never been allowed or able to participate in and she didn't do that because of what i did she did that because her owner was dedicated enough to put the time into, and she made a liar out of me. I said, this dog will never be able to do this. And she said, I'm going to keep trying. She never got frustrated. She never complained. She never said, can we try, Chad? Can we try? She just kept coming and kept working. And she proved me wrong. And that dog played. And I mean, she played. She was happy, the happiest I'd ever seen her. And I got to tell you guys, teaching socialization workshops is the most stressful thing I do. It is the most stressful thing I do. I'd rather take 100 flights to Australia <laughs> <laughs> than do one socialization workshop because it's dangerous. And there's a lot of pressure to keep these dogs safe. And it's an inherently dangerous thing that you're doing. And to do it right, you have to remove a lot of the safety protocols that we rely on to keep dogs safe. And it is stressful. And there are some times that I go, you know, I just wish I would stop doing this. I wish. Maybe I should just stop doing this. There's other people teaching it now. There's other people they can learn from. Maybe I just get out of it. And every time I think about that, I think about that moment when I saw her play the first time. And I can't stop. Because that is a gift. Like, if you can give that to a dog, if you can give that to a dog, like, there's nothing better. There's no moment in my life as a trainer that I'm more proud of. And the cool thing is I didn't do it. I just, I just provided the opportunity. Someone else's hard work, I just gave them the guidance. And, man, it's such a beautiful thing. It's so magical. And to me, that is why I keep doing socialization workshops. I can't think of any dog that has had more of an effect on not only me, but other dogs, because of her, I've never quit teaching those socialization workshops. And because I've never quit teaching those socialization workshops, hundreds of trainers are doing that, which means thousands of dogs are having that opportunity they wouldn't have before. So I got to say, that's the most influential dog on my career. Like that is the dog that, that one client, that one client who just never gave up, she has... By the time all is said and done, she will have helped millions of dogs because it's going to keep growing and keep spreading. And, like, I can't think of anything that's more powerful than that. And so that's my that's my story. That's my perfect dog. Sense of humor. I don't know if she had one or not, but she fucking <laughs> played. She fucking played. And that was awesome. See, play is the most important thing. <laughs> as long as she got that rub down afterwards. Yeah, fuck it, right? Hey, Chad. I thought you said that was going to be a short story. <laughs> so the first one will be short. <laughs> a good story, though, mate. A yeah, really thanks good. for sharing that. Yeah, that, that was really cool. Um, hey, let's wrap it up. That's a good place to end it. And it's 10 o'clock at night, and we have to get you guys to bed so that you can do this all again tomorrow. Sweet. So that's it for an episode of the Canine Paradigm slash Dog Training Conversations. Jay, how do people get in touch with you? I was like, what? Huh? 
Oh yeah, uh, next level dogs. Here's my personal phone number. Text me, bro. <laughs> next, uh, no, it's the Google me, bro. Is the one you're like, just fucking Google me. But uh, <laughs> yeah, next level dogs on Facebook or uh, nldogs.com. And if you're looking into the uh, GRC Dog Sports, then uh, look at GRC Dog Sports on Facebook. Well, Chad that is it. All right. Well, I don't think any of you guys in Australia are going to want to call me about having a dog train, but... <laughs> but people can do Skype lessons with you, right? Yeah, they can, actually. If you want to... You can follow uh, packthebasics.net for my blog and my uh, calendar of events. You can find me on Pack the Basics on Facebook. You can follow me on Facebook, too. And, of course, Dog Training Conversations on Facebook. and Which uh, is your podcast show. Yes, our podcast yep. show. Um, you get both me and Jay and our and our producer Bo if you want to contact him and just say hello. Yeah, and just say hello. Dude, that guy got that guy has fans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not bullshitting you. Like that dude has like he climbs mountains and shit all over the world, and he like will go places and go. I somebody emailed me and said I heard on the show you were going to be in wherever. Do you want to meet up? And like somebody came out here from Sweden and did not here to, to Maine and did a lesson with me. And they were like, oh, so I went to dinner with Bo and his wife last night. And I was like, what? <laughs> they were like, yeah, I met them for dinner. I was like, the fuck out of here. You really? What? That's crazy. Well, next He's time you guys come, you can bring him. It's nuts. Bring Bo next time. Hey, um, um, you know, it was awesome that we also had like all these guys come and sit in with us and spend the night with us. Like we've got 30 people who contributed to the show, who uh, asked some great questions. And really want to thank all you guys as well for sticking around with us. I know many of you listen to the show and we humbly appreciate that because we're not doing this for just likes or love. This costs us money to run and we appreciate the fact that people have come back and said, keep going, it's great. It's giving us inspiration to reach out to some quality people around the world and get their story about how they started what they're doing how they're doing it and men thank you very much thank really you. we're blessed to have you here and and thanks pat for bringing them out because we're learning a lot more and it's it's your life it's your experiences that we're getting to have a little insight too so we're very fortunate to do that thank you very much thanks for having us mostly thank you for having us yeah live clapping uh so that's it you know, you got to do it, it properly. you got to do it uh, properly. If you like what you're hearing, tell a friend. Like, rate, share on whatever subscription service you download and listen to us from. And get in contact with us at Canon Paradigm on Facebook. If you want to comp- complain about Glenn to me, you can do that via my Facebook. And if you want to do it the other way around, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Cue the music. <laughs> <laughs>